And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to The Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Friday, August 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. A lot has happened since the last time we spoke. The NL wildcard race is heating up. We are going to explore the question, are the Padres in trouble? And if so, why? Uh, the Cincinnati Reds closing in on them, so we'll talk about their case to possibly be a playoff team. And we'll take a look at a few other things going on around the game, including another team that was written up in Keith's latest piece, looking at the farm systems that have improved the most this season. We're going to say some nice things about the Pirates on this show. And I don't think I've said nice things about the Pirates in about five years. So it, it feels long, long overdue. But let's start with the NL wildcard race. The Padres, I, I thought we were going to cruise to a playoff berth. I think most people bought into that based on the projections earlier this season and the way things were going for them throughout most of the first half, but the Reds are only a game and a half back of them for the second wild card in the NL, Keith. And this is a team that might have to bullpen its way into the playoffs and bullpen its way through the playoffs, similar to what it did last year, despite adding Yu Darvish and Joe Musgrove and Blake Snell this winter, which is just mind-blowing to me. Like, they went overboard getting pitching and still might not have enough starting pitching if they get into the postseason. Yeah, because they've been crushed by a combination of injuries and unexpected poor performances, right? Darvish has actually pitched fine. He's been about a league average starter. He's probably should be a little better than that, but still, league average helped them. He's on the injured list. Chris Paddock, not good. Again, he's on the injured list. Dennis Lamette, when he pitched, was pretty good, but he's back on the injured list. Blake Snell has been nowhere close to what he was supposed to be. And... Frankly, Mackenzie Gore was supposed to be in the rotation by this point. And he's been sort of in purgatory for most of the season because he was having a hard time throwing strikes. There was a question, was it mechanics? Was it because he had a blister? Did the blister lead to bad mechanics? Whatever the reason, he was supposed to be here and he's not here. Joe Musgrove is probably the only guy in that rotation. I mean, I think he is the only guy in that rotation who's made every start and been every bit as effective as he was supposed to be. You could argue for Dar. I don't think Darvish is disappointment. Maybe they wanted a little bit more from him. He made every start until the recent, uh, until he just went on the injured list, and he's been fine. Everybody else has underperformed or been hurt or both. And I think that's ultimately. I mean, what the hell were you? How do you plan for that? They did it right. They did the thing. They went out and got all the starting pitching. Okay, and it's still they, these guys all still got hurt slash underperformed. I mean, I can't look at the front office and say, hey, you didn't. How did you didn't adequately plan for this? This is often there are times we say, well, they should have done this. They should have gotten this guy. They should have gotten this. Nope. In this case, I just look at them and say they did everything they could and still, unfortunately, didn't work out. And they were at least in the mix to get Max Scherzer at the deadline. Yes. They were trying to get the best available starting pitcher at the deadline, too. And those efforts, of course, fell short. But mm -hmm. Gore, I'm glad you mentioned him. He hasn't pitched in a game since June? Like, what is going on with him? I mean, I talked to scouts who saw him early and said something wasn't right. Um, that he is, his stuff was still there, but he was struggling with just basic command. Um, and then the rumors start, right? Oh, he's got the yips. Oh, he's got an elbow injury. Oh, the, I talked to people at the Padres just on background, who said, you know, that stuff isn't true, but they're just trying to get his mechanics straight, slash deal with this blister thing. If you look 
because it would have been three years ago now, he had a blister on and off through the 2018 season and wasn't that good when he did pitch because he had a really hard time throwing any kind of strikes, but especially for a guy who has two really good breaking pitches, his ability to especially spin that curveball was severely compromised by the fact that he was having blister problems. To me, this sounds a little bit of like a chicken and egg thing. Did the mechanics stuff cause the blister? Did the blister cause the mechanics stuff? Are they two totally separate issues? I don't really know. The Padres people have said they still think that Gore is going to have some impact for them in the majors this year. I will believe that when I see him out and pitching in a minor league game and we see that he's doing something, that he's pitching effectively anywhere. But I think... And this is not a criticism of anyone. It just if you looked back at the Padres' preseason planning, they probably thought they'd get 50 to 100 innings out of Gore at some point this season, probably in the rotation, certainly in some role. And they're not going to get close to that. They may not get any of that. And you can't plan on him at this point, on him making any kind of contribution until he's out pitching again. And so while I don't think there's something seriously wrong. It's not like he's had secret Tommy John surgery and nobody knows about it. It'd be really hard to keep that secret anyway. Hey, Mackenzie, why is your arm in a sling? No reason. I'm fine. Blister. Yep, I'm fine, right? It's just a flesh wound. Bad blister. <laughs> so, but I mean, you just can't, right? It's August 19th. I had to check. I don't even know what's Groundhog Day here. But it's August 19th, right? There's just not enough time. Even though the minor leagues are going to go longer too, how much time do you really have to ramp Gore back up? If he comes up at all, if he's able to contribute for the Padres, it would be probably in a short relief role. And that might be as much for October, assuming they get into the playoffs as anything else. And at this point, I would probably assume he's not going to, and anything you get from him is a bonus. I say that as somebody who's multiple times had Gore as the best pitching prospect in the minors, but they, you know what? They're just, every pitching prospect is risky. Every single one. And he had everything going for him. Athleticism, when, his, when he had his delivery together, it really worked. He had four pitches, all of which could grade out as above average very easily. And that 2019 season, when he was so dominant, he threw strikes. He checked every box. And here we are. Does he still have a place in the top 100? Or does he... Well, I kind of kicked that can down the road a little bit by putting him at 25 on my top 50. And that's not an accident. I put him at the middle of the list. But that's a drop from having him, I think, three in the offseason. And so... You know, that dropped him to say he's clearly not the best pitching prospect in the minors because he's not coming up tomorrow, right? That's like a Hunter Green was my top pitching prospect in the minors because he could come up tomorrow and do something. Maybe it's just out of the bullpen, but he could come up and help. But at the same time, we have this gap of information on Gore because no one's seeing him. It's not like I can talk to scouts who've seen him. He's not pitching in in uh, Arizona Rookie League games. He's Work doing stuff on the side, but nobody's even seen him. So unless he pitches in, comes back and pitches in the minors the rest of this year, maybe pitches in instructional league until somebody outside the organization lays eyes on him, we're just sort of left with this information gap. And when we don't have information on guys, uh, and I do say the top, the offseason top 100, I tend to drop guys a lot because lack of information is generally not a good thing. If there were good things going on, somebody would have scouted him. Somebody would have been able to see him. Yes, they would be telling people something good is happening if something good were happening. Come to Peoria and watch Gore. He's going to throw two innings tomorrow. Of course they would. Mm-hmm. But that's the, you know, and I'm not blaming the Padres. I don't think they're doing anything different than 29 other clubs would do. But at the same time, if he was pitching well enough, well enough to showcase him for a trade, he's a guy they've refused to part with for years for good reason. But if he were throwing well, and supposedly this spring they were willing to talk about him, and this July they were willing to talk about him. But if he were throwing well enough to improve his trade standing, they would have him out there and they'd be telling people, hey, come to Peoria. There's plenty of teams that have scouts just based in Arizona who do a lot of rookie league coverage. And so they could do their spring training to rookie league to instructs to fall league. It's a great place to live if you're a pro scout. As long as you're not worried about like climate change or running out of water. <laughs> but that's not happening, right? There's, there's just a complete vacuum of information. And that's generally a bad thing. Yeah, so it's surprising, to say the least, that Mackenzie Gore isn't offering the Padres something at this point in the season, because even if the rotation were very healthy and everybody were pitching really well, I think they would have found a spot for him uh, just based on the ceiling that we think he has. I think Blake Snell is the other player you look at, though, in this group of pitchers, and you say, holy cow, Like, what happened to Blake Snell over the course of the winter, I mean, the career-high career, career high walk rate is part of the problem. 13.8% walk rate, 5.6 walks per nine, if you prefer that metric. 
And there's not really any end in sight for that. I, I, I don't see a lot of hope. I look at the game log. Look at his last eight starts or so. Two, three, three, four, three, four, four, three, two, three. Like, he's not fixing this control issue on the fly. And he's been so much more hittable than we've seen in the past, too. Yeah, it's not just to me. It hasn't just been an issue of control. It's been an issue of command, too. Um and not not seeing him live, I don't want to over speculate on what's going into it, but it does make me feel more like this isn't going away. He's had the occasional great outing. Um, he had the outing a couple starts ago against Arizona, not the best competition, right? But he lit them up. I mean, that's good. It's nice, certainly nice to see that. But I look at this. I look at the rate of throwing strikes. Um, you look at the location just what we're able to see on video. It's not great. This isn't the same guy. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's mechanical, physical. You, you wonder if he's just kind of lost some confidence in his ability to locate where he was locating so well the last couple of years. And now he's lost some confidence. So his location's a little bit off. I don't know. Any of those things are possible. I have no idea which one of those is the answer. What I do know is he's basically been a replacement level starter for them. And they acquired him to be a number two type starter. And there's just no making up for that. And they have no option but to continue running him out there because they don't have enough healthy pitchers, healthy starters to begin with. Yeah, and I think we've seen with Ryan Weathers, who initially upon arrival earlier this season, obviously debuted in the playoffs last year, looked really good from the jump. He has fallen on some difficult times in his more recent performances here. Um, And looking through, he's just not getting deep into starts, which has been a problem for him throughout the season. But there's no real end in sight for that either and Teams are just jumping all over him right now. It really seems like he needs a third pitch to become a lot more effective. Yeah, that's. I mean, they're just their problems are deep enough that there's no, there's just no quick fix, right? There's no um, short-term solution for this. There are certainly Padres system, despite trades and graduations, just general attrition. He's still strong enough that they could, and they're creative, that they could do things this offseason to try to retool the roster for next year. And they could also say, we're hoping we're just going to be healthier in 2022. Sure. But in terms of the short term, in terms of fixing it for the remainder of this year, I don't, I, I don't know what you do. You're, this is, this is it. You went through the trade deadline. You made your pitch. No pun intended to get the best starter to trade, to change teams. I also don't blame the Nationals for taking the package they got. I'm not sure that there was going to be a better one available necessarily from the Padres. Maybe the Nationals could have unbundled Scherzer and Turner, but I, you know, at that point we're, we're really deep in the weeds and speculating because I don't know what else was out there. In terms of the Padres, though, that was it. It was the one thing they could have done that would have made themselves better. They tried, it didn't really work, and now they're just left hoping that this is still a good team, right? We don't mean to say this is like some sub 500 team, but they're not as good as they were supposed to be. And they're not as good as they would be if the pitching staff in particular were just healthy. They're just not there. And I I have a feeling, I believe I also saw too, don't they have a tough schedule the rest of the way? Whereas the Reds have a pretty soft schedule the rest of the way. Yeah. I feel like there were tweets going around on that. I apologize. I don't remember who to credit for it, but that was going around. And you know, when you're only talking about a game or two difference in the standings, that's going to, that, that can really matter. Yeah, strength of schedule the rest of the season. The Reds' opponents have a 465 winning percentage, I believe, and the Padres 542. Looks like actually the Padres might have the most difficult schedule the rest the of the way of any team in the entire league. 27 Yankees? Yeah, that's yeah. a loaded schedule. Well, and you, you feel like with the tanking, tell me, I'm going to make an assertion here. You tell me if you agree or disagree. But also, you get to the ends of seasons now with teams that are, okay, whether they're tanking or not tanking, they're sort of not trying. Right, you see the Brandon Hyde comments. Craig Calcaterra mentioned them in his newsletter today, where Brandon Hyde was basically saying, "We're trying, we're facing teams that are trying to win and go to the playoffs, and we're just doing the best we can." Something essentially like that, which was sort of a tacit acknowledgement that they're not really trying to win this year, and everybody knows that. But when you face those teams, the Orioles and the Pirates and the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, not that the individual players aren't trying, but these teams just aren't very good, and they've, a lot of them have gotten worse by design as the season's gone on because. They've traded away some of their better players because they're going to call up players who we like as prospects, but maybe won't be as productive the rest of the way because it's the right thing for those players' development for the franchise in the long term. But that team that was like a 450 winning percentage team to this point might play more like a 400 winning percentage team the rest of the way. So those strength of schedule differences could even be more stark, more there could be a 
greater dichotomy between those two types of teams as we get into September. Yeah, the Padres have three series left against the Dodgers. That's a big part of it. They have two mm-hmm. series left against the Giants. One of those is a four-gamer. So you're looking at about, what, 16 games, I think, combined against just those two teams. They've got a four-game set against the Braves. They've got the Astros in an interleague matchup. So, yep. yeah, there are there are very few soft landing spots left on the schedule for the Padres here uh, down the stretch. What a difficult situation for them to be in. I think they are still good enough to make the playoffs, and if you're good enough to make it, you are good enough to do some damage when you get there. We talked about that a lot last week. And this is a team that's had some things go right. I didn't have Jake Cronenworth as a 4-plus win player this year. I mean, it's an amazing story that is just lost in what's happening right now. On a per-game basis, Tatis has been every bit the star that everybody hoped he would be this year. Manny Machado's not having a down year. Trent Grisham's been solid. So they've got a lot of things going well or very well with the offense. And they've got a couple things that are disappointing there. Jerks and Profar and, I mean, Eric Hosmer. Did you ever get a story from anyone that explained why the Padres signed Eric Hosmer? Because it never at any point made sense to me that they went out and made that move. Nope. It's funny. At the time, I was criticized. Somebody asked me um, on Kansas City Radio, how what contract did I think um, that Hosmer was going to get that offseason? At that point, Hosmer was also hitting about, what, 190 or so? And I was like, I don't know, two years, $20 million. Nobody's going to pay this guy. And then Hosmer had like the kind of the greatest four months of his life in a free agent push. And he still had only two bidders because most people realized what he was. And one of those bidders was Kansas City. Of course they were. That was their that was their guy. They drafted him, they developed him. You expected them to make a big push. I still have no explanation whatsoever for um uh for why the Padres, not just why they were in on him, but why were they willing to pay so much? and give so many years for a player who didn't help them at all. It was Soren Petra. That's who I was talking to at Kansas City Radio. And he asked me that question kind of on a whim. And I was like, I don't know. This guy's not very good. Hosmer isn't very good. And Hosmer, as it turns out, still isn't very good. They should just release him at this point. He's just in the way. It seems like Joe Sheehan said on my podcast this week, it's like they're tying themselves in knots to try to get around the fact that Hosmer is just not worth a roster spot at this point. It hasn't been for a while. Not likely to become so. And no one's going to take the contract on. But if he's in the way of you fielding the most effective, not just lineup, but bench that you possibly can, you, you just got to move him along, designate him for assignment. And no one's going to claim him and see what happens. If he wants to walk away, great. If he wants to go and play in AAA, okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, the four years that Eric Hosmer has been in San Diego, three in three of those seasons, he's been a below replacement level player. I just wonder who they were bidding against. Eight and one forty four. Like I, I love when players get paid. Uh, pay the players. Sure. Always. Nothing against Hosmer here. Nothing, good for him. Good. Yeah. Good for him. But and who are they? Agent who are they bidding Forrest against? Did his job. Who was the other team? Who was the runner up? Who was the team that was pushing seven for one fifteen out there for Hosmer? Because that didn't seem possible at the time either. I thought it was going to be a shorter deal, like you did. It was just him in Kansas City. Just them. Sorry, the Padres and Can- and the Royals. As far as I know, that's it. Everyone else saw what. I saw what it's not like I was letting out some big secret that he just wasn't good enough to be paid as an everyday player, let alone a star. He basically got a star level free agent contract for the time, uh, you know, at the easiest position to fill. It's I don't know. You know, that's funny because that's that's one I sh- I'm sure at some point someone from that front office will maybe no longer work there. Um and and say, you know, here's what we were thinking or say ownership really wanted this deal or something. We're trying to send a signal to the fans. Who knows? It didn't make sense. It just never made sense, especially with Will Myers already on the roster. And the one thing the, the Padres said, their farm system was absolutely loaded already at the time. So, well, I don't even know who's who Hosmer is going to block, but he's going to block somebody. You know, if I were trying to send a signal to my fan base that I love them and care about them, I would have dollar beer nights and discounted tickets. I wouldn't give them eight years yeah. of Eric Hosmer. I feel like that's uh, doing the opposite. But hey. yeah, that's not a gift, right? That's like, yeah, yeah, that's not not the kind of that's not they were hoping for jewelry, right? Yeah, that's not. Yeah. Or nachos. Nachos. Yeah. That you can never yeah. go wrong with those. I feel like down there you should San Diego, right? You should do the good California shrimp tacos. Yeah. Right. Good taco night would be right? real. Actually, that's decent food at Petco. So it's already there, right? They could just discount it or something. Great breweries there. Craft brewery night. 
See, yeah. we're, we should work in marketing for the Padres. Clearly, we've got all the right ideas. That team, that stadium, that area, that sells itself. Like that's the easiest place to be a marketing person, I think, in, in all of Major League Baseball. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about the Reds, though. They are the team putting some pressure on the Padres. We thought back probably around the All-Star break when we talked about the NL Central race that the Reds were the biggest threat to the Brewers. The Brewers have opened up that lead, but because the Padres have fallen and the Reds keep playing well, now we actually have a battle for the second wild card, which we desperately need because some of the playoff races are, the division races are so clearly decided. We need something to be excited about here over these final six weeks of the season. The Reds are a good team, and they've been a good team all along, and they have a few things trending back in the right direction. Luis Castillo looks more like himself again. Maybe not the, the peak Luis Castillo from the last couple of years, but had a recent meltdown against Cleveland that snapped a stretch of 13 consecutive starts where he allowed three earned runs or fewer. That's much more Castillo-like than mm -hmm. the guy that he was back in April and most of May. The Joey Votto 2021 campaign has been ridiculous. That's like some giant stuff happening in Cincinnati right now. And count me in on the Joey Votto train. I mean, he's one of the best, best people in baseball. I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this. Like, we need Joey Votto, right? We want more Joey Votto. It's almost a shame that Joey Votto hasn't gotten more national media attention. I feel like we try to give him attention, but just because he plays in a team that is in one of the smaller metropolitan areas within baseball, that's just probably worked against him. But he is just a, a by all accounts, a pretty great human. He's a hell of a quote. He says incredibly intelligent things. Um, didn't one of our? Didn't somebody at our site just write about his Hall of Fame case earlier this week? Was it Jason? Somebody did. I swear I saw that. I didn't see it, but he absolutely has a strong Hall of Fame case. Oh, he is in for me. That's I'm not even like. I mean, I'm voting for him. That's not even a question. All right, hold on. I'm looking this up. This is bad. We should know this. It is Trent and Jason together. Shared byline, Joey Votto is not your grandpa's Hall of Famer, but he absolutely belongs. I agree. I agree with this. I, I'm Keith, My name is Keith Law, and I endorse this message. I agree yes. with the headline 100%, and we'll read the article later today. I'm bummed that I missed that previously. But the numbers so far for his career, Votto, a 303, 417, 520 hitter, closing yeah. in on 60 war, probably going to get there by the end of the season or very early yeah. next season. He's over it on baseball reference. Are you looking at fan graphs? Yeah, I'm at, I'm at fan graphs, yeah. yeah. Yep. He's, he's also, he'll turn 38 next month. He could easily tack on a little bit more the next two years. Like, I don't think he's, he's clearly not done. Um, and my guess is he'll, he's a guy because of who he is, because of the patience, he will probably be able to play more years if he wants to as a part-time player. You know, he could do the Tim Raines sort of slow taper at the end of the career and get opportunities to go to jump to a contender and be a bench piece, left-handed, you know, backup first baseman, platoon guy, left-handed bat off the bench, somebody everybody wants in the clubhouse. He could actually, he will get more opportunities to do that. And so, yeah, I don't, there will be people who will not vote for him because his counting stats are not super impressive, right? It's on, only, I'm air quoting, people can't say this, I'm air quoting. He only has 2002 career hits. For a first baseman, I'm going to guess that would put him at the bottom of Hall of Fame first baseman. He only has 321 home runs. Still, especially today, that seems less impressive than it used to. Remember when 300 home runs was a big deal? Mm -hmm. It's not anymore. No. But he's a 417 career on base percentage. He has a 520 career slugging percentage. As you just said, this guy's been a comfortably well above average hitter for, let's see, he's got parts of 15 years in the big leagues, and for 13 of them, he's been a way above average hitter. 
always one of the more feared hitters in the division, too. I mean, if you're a fan of the Cubs or the Brewers or the Cardinals, like you know how good Joey Votto is. You've seen enough of him. You've seen him dominate against your team enough times to understand the overall value he brings. The power thing, if people are hung up on that, I don't think I can help them. But this Reds team is actually really well-balanced. Jonathan India has very quietly put himself, I would say, atop the rookie of the year race in the yep. NL. And Tyler Stevenson playing really well, working in tandem behind the plate with Tucker Barnhart. I think we talked about Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos earlier this season. They've both been great. Winker is on the IL right now with an intercostal strain. Doesn't seem to be serious, but he is a key piece of that offense. I would say one of the few things that's gone wrong for them is Eugenio Suarez, Keith. Like I can't figure out why he has been this bad at the plate. Like Maybe his profile is the type of profile that that wasn't going to age well, but I also didn't think it was going to age this poorly this quickly. Right. I I had a hard time buying the player he was at his peak, especially that power. I remember seeing Suarez when he first came up with the Tigers. If you go back to my old Tigers rankings, I said he was a prospect. Never did I say a single word thinking he'd be a 30-homer guy. Even this, in this horrible year, he's still got 23 home runs. For him to be that out of character good for he had two years, right? Where he was really pretty elite offensively. Um, I always wondered what would have happened if he'd stayed at shortstop. He was originally a shortstop. And I didn't see enough of him to say he could or couldn't stay there. The reports I had were that he had a chance to stay there, at least. Um, you know, he might have been an MVP caliber player if he'd stayed at short. But now he's like, what do you do? You're looking at him like he's hitting a buck seventy two with a two fifty eight on base. You'd bench that guy if you had better, healthier options, right? It's just that, like everybody else, they've been hit by injuries. If they felt that Jose Barrero, say, or – I mean, I like Alejo Lopez, probably not as an everyday guy, but he could certainly fill in at a bunch of spots. I mean, they've got options maybe to bench Suarez. I know it probably sounds crazy. There are probably Reds fans screaming right now. How do you bench this guy? Look at how good he was the last couple of years. But it's five months now, four and a half months. You know, for – a 258 on base percentage over that extended stretch of time, I understand. It's still not even quite a full season. But I wouldn't bet on this guy suddenly posting a 350 on base the rest of the way, right? That's just something's not right. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. Maybe Reds fans can tell us. Um, but I think you have to consider just playing him less um, as long as you have healthy options. And by the way, I just want to point out, Jonathan India, I believe, was on my top 100 coming into the season. Pretty sure I had him there because he was one of the guys the Reds people said was a different person at the alternate site because he was hurt. He played hurt for so much of 2019. And prospects often do. It's funny you mentioned Eric Cosmer. Eric Cosmer had a year where he did this. Tried to play through a broken metacarpal in his hand uh, in low A, I believe. And once that got healthy, Hosmer, Hosmer was a great prospect. He mashed the rest of the way up through the minors. India tried to play through a broken wrist, I believe, and didn't tell anybody. He had like a little hairline fracture, didn't tell anyone, lost his strength. Got healthy last year, worked on some things at the alternate site. Now he's back to the player he was supposed to be when he was the fifth pick in the draft. Yeah, got buried on prospect lists as a result, too. I mean, playing through injury, I, I understand why players do it. It, it certainly makes sense. Uh, the alternative, mm -hmm. missing time in the minor leagues. You're stuck in the minor leagues longer. I, I don't want to be there. You worry someone's going to pass you. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe India shouldn't worry about that. Maybe Hosmer shouldn't worry about that. They were both top five picks in the draft. They were both, obviously, when you're that guy, right? Your team is going to um, certainly take you. You know, they're going to give you more opportunities, but who knows what goes through these kids' heads, right? I, I got to play. I have to keep playing. I have to keep performing. There's plenty of other talented guys around me. It's, and also, also, we just tend to wire professional athletes to play. Don't speak up when you're hurt. You don't want people to think you're soft. That's a pretty bad mentality. And in these cases, it doesn't lead to more serious injuries. But who knows? The pitcher who tries to pitch through a little bit of elbow pain, changes mechanics, ends up screwing up his shoulder. Like it's, uh, it's not a good mindset. And in this, like, I, I point these out, one, just to say, hey, this guy's better than you might think from just if you're just scouting the stat line. But also, hey, kids, if you think your wrist is broken, maybe say something. Yeah, get it checked out. Maybe shut it down for a few weeks, heal, come back, and then start mashing again. Yeah. That's a, a better yeah. way to go if you can go that route. I don't think that's that controversial. No. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Barrero. Uh, he was previously known as Jose Garcia. He changed his last name this spring to honor his mother, who unfortunately passed away from a, a COVID-related illness. And 
he's had a great year in the minors. I think back at the beginning of the season when everyone was saying, well, who's going to play shortstop for the Reds? At the time, some people would say, oh, maybe Jose Garcia could do it. Barrero's up now, and he's the kind of player that I think could make a pretty nice impact, like at least just in terms of the power-speed combo. Are you buying into his hit tool, though, as uh, good enough for him to be a legitimate, everyday big league player? I'm a fan. I, I like him. I think he's an everyday player. Um, he might actually turn out to be more than an everyday player. I think a lot of it's going to come down to the approach. You know, he came up last year. I, we talked about him. I'm pretty sure we talked about him before, about what happened last year. He probably didn't belong up in the majors. He clearly didn't, by, based on his performance. Also, they were just desperate for a shortstop at that point. So I don't even blame them. But you know, the fear was this is going to screw him up. He was so overmatched. He went down to the minors. He did everything he was supposed to do. The one thing I'd like to see is is the pitch recognition, both pitch type and ball strike recognition, good enough to get to the hit tool. I think there's some sneaky power in there. He can definitely play shortstop. If that approach is just good enough, he doesn't have to be an elite walk guy. I don't think he's going to be that guy at any point. He's just got to be disciplined enough to get to – he's going to hit the upper 200s, maybe close to 300, and I think he could have 20 homer power. You do that and you play even passable shortstop, you're going to play a very long time. And I think he's got a chance to be a star. And it's great to see, too, because after that sample in the big leagues last year, God, was he just completely rushed? Or did we all kind of overrate him because he did have great tools? Well, okay, now it looks like, yeah, he was just rushed. Everything's fine. I think he's back on track to where he was before last year. And you can just throw 2020 out, as we've been talking about all year. You have to do that for so many players. I think he's one of them. I think he's... um, I think he is back to the prospect he seemed to be before the 2020 season. I want to ask you quickly about Nick Senzel because he's on the short list of, of things that haven't gone well for the Reds. Injuries, of course, for Senzel are a big part of the story. I mean, Isn't it always? It's right? me this again this guy. year. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Are you surprised they optioned him down to AAA when he came back from this injury? We hadn't performed. My opinion on Senzel has basically been the same since the injury started. And he didn't really have this issue in college, that I, not that I can recall, but it's that he's never healthy. He's, he would be a better player if he were able to stay healthy for an extended period of time. We've just not seen that. We've really not seen that, I think, maybe since A-ball. I'd have to just double-check the game logs here. But yeah, I think uh, my interpretation is he just wasn't healthy again this year. He's got 111 at-bats. He was actually below replacement level with no power at all. Um, we haven't seen the hard contact in the majors that we saw from him in the minors and in college. And he hasn't been healthy. And maybe the fact that he hasn't been healthy is why he hasn't shown that kind of hard contact. Because I don't know anybody who questioned whether he'd hit. When he was in college, the whole question was, where the heck does he play? And I think he's established that he could play second or third more than well enough to be an everyday guy there. The Reds keep putting him in center field. I don't think that's the right fit for him. I don't think he's a good center fielder. I I don't know if that's part of why he hasn't been staying healthy. I would just move him out of center field to say, just maybe this is part of the problem and see what happens. But I just don't think we've ever seen the real Nick Senzel in the majors. All this time, it seems like he's been in the majors for 10 years. He doesn't even have 600 at-bats in the big leagues. No, He's it, basically got one full year of playing time scattered across three different seasons here, and it's all been punctuated by since on the injured list. Playing, how, how many of those plate appearances have come with him at 100% health? I mean, I, I don't know, but I feel like not very many. Yeah. A low percentage. Yeah, I'm still very optimistic, uh, I think, long term about the talent if the health ever kind of comes together for Nick Senzel. If you're yeah. looking at Padres versus Reds and trying to make a call on it today. We're recording this on the 19th of August. Wait, we're recording this? Nobody told me that. No, we're, we're streaming into some other corner of the internet. <sighs> Who actually gets this playoff spot? Who's the better of these two teams based on everything that we're seeing from them to this point? I, I pick the Reds. Well, who do you pick? And then I'll give you my, argu- my logic and you give me yours. I think I'm still on the Padres even with the more difficult schedule. My argument is the schedule favors the Reds. The Reds' offense, I think, is really legit. And I'll say it's way better than I thought it was going to be coming into the season. They've had a bunch of guys, even with a few disappointments, like Suarez, like Senzel, they've had a bunch of other guys step up, um, including India, who I just checked. He was number 88 in my preseason top 100. Just want to pat myself on the back just a little bit right there. Um, 
And I think the Reds pitching staff is going to be good enough. It's not a strength. It's good enough. And I just look from our conversation, from just sitting here and looking at who's healthy on the Padres and what contributions they're likely to get from that pitching staff the rest of the way. Yeah, I think the Padres, they may end up the best team in baseball not to make the playoffs. That sucks for them, for their fans. But there's always somebody. There's always going to be some best team to not make the playoffs. I I feel like it's going to be them. The schedule is great. That schedule is really unfavorable for them. And for them to be hitting that at a point where they are just not healthy. And it might be several weeks. It might not be the rest of the year until they get truly get healthy. I think for me, I'm going to take the Padres because I think the pitching overall is still just a tick better. Part of it's the bullpen depth being so good. The way they have mm-hmm. to get there, it, I don't know how sustainable it is because if you are running on fumes through September and you're burning <laughs> through your bullpen depth just to win those games... You might get to October, and bullpenning in October might be a lot less effective right, because yeah. you had to do it for too long. So I'm right. definitely concerned about the the quality of the Padres once they get mm-hmm. there. They're going to be a very banged-up team, I think, if they do make it to the postseason. Uh, but I do think they stack up really well. I mean, both of these yeah. teams are, are good offensively. I do think the Reds have a better offense. But I trust the Padres pitching, even with the flaws we talked about earlier. And I'm assuming Darvish comes back relatively quickly from this back injury. I think if that turns into a longer absence than expected that's kind of a big deal because of their Mm -hmm. aforementioned lack of depth and one more spot going down like that, having to bullpen even more. It just, it all starts to fall apart. And and he's, even if Darvish is just league average, that's better than anything else they have at this point. Let me ask you a philosophical question then, because what you just described is a Padres team that if they make the playoffs, it's probably just to make the playoffs, right? They could be, anything can happen in October, but they're going to be pretty depleted by the time they get to the playoffs. And they, the most likely outcome, I would say, would be they wheeze to the finish line, and then it's a quick exit. Acknowledging anything can happen, but if you're forecasting right now, you're trying to make a prediction, a binary prediction, do they, do they get in, do they not get in? Do they get in in advance or not? I feel like the most likely scenario, if they get in at all, is that it is just to get in and then probably make a quick exit. Is that worth it? Is that worth If you're... Now, you're not, this is not preseason, right? You're trying to make some decisions on August 19th and say, well, the options are you get on, you know, you make it there on fumes, but you're, you know, maybe two, two and out, or you don't get there at all. You got to get there. You, you, you choose it, right? I mean, this is a franchise yeah. that has been one of the least successful in baseball history. Yeah. They, they have not tasted postseason baseball very often in San Diego. So, just being there again, I think, is a big enough deal. And because they've pushed so much into this season, it's such a psychological downer to not make it, I feel like. Even if you can rationalize all the reasons why you didn't go, that hurts. That is a huge setback for the organization if they don't get in. So you gotta, you got to find a way to limp in. And who knows? They could limp in, and the way this is going to play out, they might get the Dodgers in that wild card game. And all it takes is one to knock out your biggest rival. And all of a sudden, momentum, which I don't think is a huge thing, but you're going to be so high. If you if you get into the postseason and you knock out the Dodgers in the wild card game, that extra lift you're going to need from being just exhausted from this September schedule and grinding it out, you might actually get that boost at least for a series. Do you think Padres fans would say, it was all worth it if we knocked the Dodgers out? Oh, hell yes, yes. If, yes, they, if they go, I think so. If they Absolutely. go and knock out the Dodgers in the wild card game and then get swept in the in the next round, right. at least we knock the Dodgers out. Yeah, it's that's like the ultimate spite win, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I want to hear from Padres fans if they agree. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that that's going to be uh, an overwhelming yes on that one. It's the, uh, my, I, I've mentioned a few times, my wife is Welsh and, uh, rugby is their big sport. And we have t-shirts here that say it's sort of the unofficial slogan of Welsh rugby. As long as we beat the English, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. Just beat your biggest rival. And if nothing else goes your way, you're still happy of that one big W uh, that you can carry with you from the season. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Uh, let's talk about the Pirates because I, you wrote about them in your article last week. The five MLB teams with the biggest farm system improvements in 2021. We talked about the Cubs a little bit on our deadline show a couple of weeks ago and a little bit last week as well. But if you were re-ranking systems, which you'll do in the offseason, the Pirates are going to be among the teams that take the biggest step forward and I guess I'm curious to know, like, of the moves they made, and obviously they drafted Henry Davis with the first overall pick in the draft. That will help a farm system. But of the other moves they made, where do you feel like they did the best? What did they do to improve their long-term outlook the most over the course of this season? I liked what they did at the trade deadline, especially given the fact that they didn't have a ton to work with, right? The pro- Ben Charrington was handed a team that had already been depleted in a couple of different ways. And I like, I really like just in general what he's done so far um, that, it, again, like he's, like I said, he, he, you know, there was no, there were limited opportunities to make huge improvements, especially this year at the trade deadline. But they made a whole set of trades that brought in probably not a single superstar talent anywhere. Um, you know, I think Ronzi Contreras, who they got in the off season might qualify as that, but they got a bunch of guys who project to have some kind of major league value here. Tucupito Marcano is probably an everyday player. Diego Castillo has a chance to be an everyday player. Uh, Ricky DeVito, once he's healthy, has a chance to be a back end starter. They got a couple of potential relief prospects, and they got Bryce Wilson's not a prospect, so it doesn't actually help the farm system. But I really want to see what Wilson does in a different organization, different coaches, different system. There's still a lot of untapped potential on that one. But the biggest reason I had them as my most improved farm system was the draft. I just thought they had an unbelievable draft. They picked first. They picked first in every round. They had the extra pick from the competitive balance lottery. And they had a lot of money to play with. Not every team that is in that situation does such a great job. But they did. I thought in Davis, they took a you know, a guy with some, you know, a little chance to be a star and a very, very high floor and then went for ceiling after that. Just went boom, boom, boom. Ended up taking four players from my top 50 ranking. And I don't think I was out of, um, you know, I think if you go to MLB or Fangraphs, we all kind of agree. Those three high school guys they took, Anthony Salamato, Bubba Chandler, Lonnie White, all high ceiling guys. All big upside plays, all very talented. And that's what you do. When you have that kind of money and you have those extra picks and there's no Bryce Harper sitting at the top of the board, you do this, you execute, you, you make, you use the strategy. You, they actually did that and executed it and for which they deserve credits. So it's a pretty big influx of a lot of talent into the system uh, to, on top of what they were able to add over the winter. 
I think it was pretty clear when the Pirates hired Ben Charrington, they were looking at a long rebuild, you know, the five-year rebuild, the, the longest of the rebuilds, really, uh, based on what had happened in some of the trades that were made prior to the change in the front office. If you look at the Pirates and you compare them to the other really bad teams in the league, and I'm just going off of low winning percentages right now. So there's four. There are four teams in the league right now with a winning percentage of 350 or less. The Pirates are one of them. The Rangers are one of them. The Diamondbacks are one. And the Orioles are the other. Of those four teams, who do you think is most likely to get to the playoffs first? That's a great question because I don't know that the Pirates are furthest along, but I feel like they're they have the best farm system of those four, I think. And that division tends to fluctuate so much more. You don't have juggernauts in that division. The Brewers are really, they're legitimately a great team right now. They don't have a super strong farm system. They're not going to be a, an unbeatable powerhouse for the next three, four years. The Cubs are obviously, they've obviously given up for the short term. So that's a thing. And they have... And the you know Cardinals appear to be in a little bit of a plateau. That division is going to just be more competitive than the other divisions. In addition to the fact that I think the Pirates have a pretty great farm system, I feel like the Orioles are the farthest away. Their farm system is not that great. Um, it's very top heavy. Adley Rutschman's top prospect in baseball. He could win an MVP award at some point. He's going to be really good. And then you start to they just start to tally up the pitching in the system, and it's kind of thin. It's going to take them a while to get to the point. They may end up a team that has a championship caliber lineup and a below average pitching staff at some point. And that would require making trades or making an investment in free agency that obviously they have not made in some time now. But Grayson Rodriguez looks like he's going to be really good. He could be at the top of the rotation at some point. Their next best starter is DL Hall. He's been hurt for much of the season. And behind them, there's not a whole lot of pitching coming. And so that's that plus the fact that they are in one of the two toughest divisions in baseball makes me think they are probably the furthest of those four from a playoff spot. Yeah, the the long rebuild in Baltimore is just so dangerous because the Rays are so good at what they do. The Red mm -hmm. Sox and the Yankees are obviously well-funded organizations that will always spend money, but they also do some other things well too. And then you've got the Jays like with the core they've got and now acting more like a big market team, pushing chips in, spending money. How do you compete with that? That is extremely difficult. And you could you could put a nice core together if you're the Orioles, have that core come up, and you could still be the worst team in that division. That is an actual real outcome. That's the problem for them. And it is worth pointing out that Mike Elias inherited a major league team that had very little left in the way of veterans he could trade for prospects. So it's very different than what Jeff Lunau inherited when Elias and Sigmund all were there in Houston. So that set back the rebuild a good bit. Manny Machado had been traded, but they're not going to see a ton of returns from that in terms of long-term benefits. And he also inherited a team, Elias did, that had basically no – a front office that had basically no analytics department, no R&D, and had been absent from the international free agent market for like a decade. They're just now starting to get back involved down there, and they're signing more players in Latin America. That's great. It's going to take a long time because the lag on those is so long. That I think this upcoming cycle is probably the first one where the Orioles will be able to compete on an even footing with other clubs because you got to get in on those kids when they're 12, which whether we like it or not, that's just the system down there. So you just have to accept it and that the Orioles were several years behind. So even if you take over day one, if you handed you know a new GM who was completely committed to the international market, you hand him a new club today that's not very involved in international, it's probably three years before he's able to sign the best possible players in that market. So these guys, the Orioles are just signing now, even in the class they just signed in this current period, they're probably not getting the guys they would have most wanted. And it's going to be a few years before those guys even hit the system. And that's just, that's just a fact. That's not a blaming Michael Elias and company for anything. This is what they inherited. They did not want to participate in the international side. And it's adversely affecting the farm system and and is going to adversely affect the competitiveness of the major league club for several years several more years yeah, the last question i've got for you it's an orioles question which is convenient how many of the current big league players on this roster are going to be on the next orioles playoff team like i started thinking about it and i came up with one i think it's cedric mullins i think he's the only player on their current 26 man roster who will be 
an Oriole the next time they go to the playoffs. I could make an argument for John Means, but I think they should trade him before that. Right, yeah. That John Means is good enough, but that he is, what is he, a three plus now? So he is, he came into this year with just a, just over two. So he'll be three plus, he'll be ARB eligible. Not that that matters, they're not spending any money. But you're starting to count down towards his free agency, and he'll hit free agency, I think, entering his age 32 season. It's probably going to be the right strategic move to trade him when he's got a year or two left. I mean, they could they could put him out there now, this offseason, because I think every contender would be interested. He helps almost everybody. So I would say you're probably right. I think they need to do better than Ryan Mountcastle. He's one of their, but one of the few rookies on the team this year. Um, Mancini is a fan favorite, but he's not elite. He's not somebody that should be signing to a huge long-term extension, say, to take him through free agency, to buy him out of free agency. Yeah, it's it's a pre- you know it. When Adley Rutschman arrives, that's where it begins. Right. And then behind him, these guys are going to start to show up and you'll see like Jordan Westberg um, and Grayson Rodriguez for that matter. Those guys are on the next Orioles playoff team, but they're not in the majors yet. Yeah. And that's that was a really bad situation that Elias and company inherited. I can't emphasize that enough that they just walked into, I would argue, the, the worst situation in baseball, which a lot of which was exacerbated by previous GM and the previous manager were never on the same page and ownership basically refused to give either one, you know, the autonomy, really the GM should have had the authority to make a lot of those decisions. And so it just meant a lot of things just didn't get done. And so Elias walked in and he had to build some stuff from scratch, which can be fun if you're a person inclined to do that sort of thing, but it extends the runway until you're actually ready to take off and compete. And less fun for the fan base along the way. They're not happy now. And I don't blame them one bit. Yeah justified i would say in in every possible way we are going to go before i go as i do every week i'm going to tell you you should listen to the keith law show joe sheehan was the guest he's uh this guy that talks about baseball you probably heard him before he writes this newsletter it's been around for a while really good conversation you should definitely check out this week's episode of the keith law show you can hear me on rates and barrels and the other athletic fantasy baseball podcasts New subscribers can get in for 30% off at theathletic.com slash baseball show. Be sure to read all the great work that we have going up on the site on Twitter. He's at Keith Law. I'm at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.